We're going to go today to the book of Luke, chapter 15. The book of Luke, chapter 15. This is perhaps one of the most famous uh, parables that Jesus told. I love it. I've preached it a lot in my ministry. But I want to, I want to kind of take it a little bit different direction today if we could. And uh, as you're turning to Luke 15, I just want to lay a little groundwork. Jesus was teaching uh, publicans and sinners and Pharisees and scribes. And uh, he begins to tell this story, which tradition actually holds that this was not a new story at all. Um, this chapter, he tells the story of the prodigal son. It's what we call him. Um, and tradition says that this story was as old as Abraham. And that every young Jewish boy that was 13 years or older who had been under the tutelage of a rabbi had heard this story. And uh, Jesus does switch it up a little bit. I preached a sermon years ago, years, years ago, uh, called Jesus... Jesus rewrote my story because the traditional way of telling this story, there were a couple of endings that when the prodigal came to himself and he came back home, it said that he knocked on the door, he got the courage to come home, knocked on the door, and a man answered the door that he didn't recognize. His father had passed away and the brother that stayed home sold the, the house and there was a man that answered the door he didn't recognize. And he said, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. I'm the new owner of this home. And so basically, it was dishonor that you left home, everything you lost, it's on you. There was another ending to the story, or so they say, that when he came home, he knocked on the door. And the older brother answered the door. And he said, Father has died. You've got everything that's coming to you. This is not your home anymore. And so... They say that rabbis and, and teachers would share this story to teach young Jewish children that you always honor your family. It was a culture of honor. You always honor your father. You honor your family. The first commandment was promise. You don't take your inheritance and leave early. You, you, you let things take its course. And so actually, the, the Pharisees were probably, if tradition holds to be the truth, they were... They were probably leaning into the story as Jesus starts telling it because they're like, I finally like something he's saying. That these young people need to listen to what he's saying. You don't dishonor. And he goes through the story. I'm going to preach it to you, but, but stay with me. He says that the boy came to himself and he turns around from the pig pen and he goes home to father's house. How many of you are familiar with the story? And it's something interesting because when he should have spoke about justice, that the boy got what he deserved when he came home, nobody was there. Jesus changes the story from a traditional perspective. And he says, and while he was yet a far way off, his father ran to him. In Middle Eastern culture, it was a dishonor for men to run like that. They, they didn't. They didn't do that. Jesus said they ran it. And all the people standing around are like, that's not how the story goes. Listen, I just want to say this today. I'm thankful that I didn't get what I deserved. <laughs> I'm thankful that I didn't get what I deserved. I'm thankful that Jesus 
put an ending on my story that said when I should have received justice, he extended mercy to me. Aren't you grateful this morning? So I'm, I'm going to walk through a couple of things here very quickly. Uh, 15 and 15, 15 and 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. I'll fill in the gaps. Sent him into his fields to feed swine. Verse 16, and he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Verse 17, the pivotal moment in the story, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough? Somebody say bread enough. Bread enough. Bread enough. And more, he said. He said, there's, there's more than enough in my father's house. Lord, if I could preach that this morning. He said, there's more than enough in my father's house. Does anybody believe that? But watch what he said. He said, there's more than enough in my father's house, but I perish with hunger. I perish with hunger. Now, very quickly. I want us to go to verse number 23. The boy comes home. His father talks to him, kisses him. And the father starts talking to the servants. And he said, go get the best robe, put it on him, get a ring on his hand, shoe on his feet, shoes on his feet. Verse 23, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. I love this. And let us eat. Somebody shout that with me. Let us eat. Let us eat and be merry. I want to preach to you one of, the, one of my most favorite things that I ever hear when I go to somebody's house. I'm going to preach. This is one of my favorite things that I ever heard my mother and my mamma say to me. I hope you're hungry. Come on. I'm going to preach to you this morning. I hope you're hungry. Praise God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, God, for the hunger that I sense in the hearts of your people. I'm believing, God, you're going to do mighty things and that you're going to get all the glory for it today. Bless their hearts, their minds, their spirits. Bless the soil that it would receive the good word of God. And we'll give you the thanks and the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Let the church say amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. Now, um, I'm, I should know this by now. I've been doing this a long time, but I made a mistake in the last month. This will be the second time that I've preached on Sunday morning about people being hungry. That makes for a tough crowd on Sunday mornings. A few weeks ago, I preached to you, it matters what you're hungry for. Um, but today, I, I'm, I'm going to preach to you with some Southern hospitality. I'm, I'm going to preach to you today with some southern hospitality. Uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, by the grace of God and the hands of my grandmother, Sister Bingham, I graduated school. And uh, my mother couldn't figure out why well, I, was, I was homeschooled and, uh, for the, the majority of my, my school. And uh, the last year, my senior year, um, I spent a lot of time at my grandmother's house. She helped me 
was cool. My mom couldn't figure out why I worked so well down there with Mama. And um, the true answer to the story is the eight meals that I got during school. Uh, there's just something about it when I walked in her house that I, I don't know. It had to just be the will of God and the favor of God on my life. Because I'd step through the door and she'd say, baby, are you hungry? That's a rhetorical question, just so you know. Uh, oh, I, I could probably eat something, you know. Well, you just sit down right there at the table and open up your books and, and uh, I'll get something started. Oh, God. I'm going to finish early today, Lord. You know, you just... And uh, there was magic. There was magic in those fingertips. Because she could take some of that cheap Aldi lunch meat and work miracles. Anybody in here? Now, I'm just going to mess with you for a minute. I'm not trying to be carnal, but it's, you know, it's on my mind. Anybody in here ever had that sandwich spread that's like mayonnaise with relish stuff? Anybody ever had that? That was an R.B. Bingham special. And Merle Jones likes it too, I think. There's something miracle working about the power of sandwich spread. And uh, it was amazing how that would work. But I also had times where my mother would cook an amazing dinner. And uh, just before dinner, I'd find my way to a bag of Doritos. In my younger days when I could eat whatever I wanted to and my britches would still stay too big, you know. That all slows down over time, young boys. I want you to know that. But there was a season in life when I could, I could have a 20-ounce bottle of Pepsi and a bag of Doritos as many times as I wanted to in a week. And it didn't change anything about my manly figure. But I'd find my way to a bag of Doritos and I'd walk in the door and the prophetess Judith it's like she just knew. It's like, you've been out with Dan and Chuck. You guys been eating? Of course not, Mother. I had a little snack earlier, and she'd say, well, I hope you're hungry. And whether I was or not, I was. And so when somebody would make the statement to me, I hope you're hungry. Now stay with me because I'm fixing to start preaching right now. I just hit the green light. When somebody makes the statement to you, I hope you're hungry, that means because I've been preparing for you. When you walk in somebody's house and they, they ask the question, are you hungry? That means I can probably get something started. But when they say, I hope you're hungry, that means I've been waiting on you to get here. This is a powerful moment on Sunday morning because I've come to preach to somebody in the house. I sure hope you're hungry because the Father's been waiting on you to come home. I sure hope you're hungry today because we've been preparing for you to be in the house of the Lord on this Sunday morning. Now, I'm going to come back and preach that in just a few minutes, but everybody stay with me. So, Jesus begins with the story, and he starts talking about 
about this man losing a sheep. He said, how many of you, if you lost a sheep, would not leave 99 and go after the sheep? There's so much preaching that you can do in this chapter. It's, it's so powerful. Um, but there is a misconception about this chapter. I, I, want you to, I want you to understand that Jesus is not recommending that you neglect 99 to go after the lamb that walked off. You understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of people that have kind of misconstrued this and say, well, forget the people that are whole. We ought to be spending all our time chasing after things that are running away. Jesus is speaking about this by the nature of a, of a wild animal. You notice when he speaks about humanity, this is very interesting, because there are parallels, and I am glad he left the 99 and came looking for me. All, all that's wonderful. But I want you to understand that's when he's talking about the possession of a lamb, something that the shepherd had. He was speaking of the possession, and he said, you would go find that lamb and you would bring it back. But when he speaks about a human being, he does not leave the father in the story running after a son that doesn't want to stay. Whoa. That was a little tougher than I thought it would be. He said, when it comes to your possessions, you'll go, you'll go chase after the one that ran off in order to come back and save that one and bring it back into the fold. And he said the same thing. With a woman, he said, she got ten coins, she loses one in the house. Somebody say in the house. There's a powerful principle in here that you don't have to be in the wilderness to be lost. He said, the coin, well, I'm already preaching. He said, the coin can be lost in the house. Sheep can wander off and be lost in the wilderness, he said. But you're going to also lose some things in the house. You do know that when the trumpet sounds, there's going to be some people that have been in the house. Well, Lord, I've been there every time the doors are open. You can be lost in the house. You can hear preaching on a weekly basis and dress the part and look the part and even dance and shout. But there's something going on in a hidden place. Woo! So Jesus then begins to deal with the human nature. He said this boy came to his father and he, he took an early inheritance. I wish I could tell you how many times I've seen this in my lifetime. People that have so much potential in their lives, but they come to the heart of their father who wants nothing but the best for them and say, everything that belongs to me, I want it, and they leave. This is sad. Now, we know the end of the story because we've read the end of the story. But as a pastor, i got to slow down and tell you this today. That as a pastor, I feel the heart of this father because although we've read the end of the story, the father doesn't know when the boy or if the boy is coming home. And I've stood in this pulpit and preached and reached and loved and did all that I could do only to have somebody come. I've had it on, on Sunday nights where I've poured myself out all day and walked off the platform. I walked off the platform one night. I mean... First step down off the platform and somebody walked up and said, this will be my last Sunday here. After the Holy Ghost had just reached for them, they said, I'm done. I'm going to walk away. I'm leaving. They just heard the word of God. 
But they said, I'm, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of, I'm tired of working. There's, there's something else that's coming to me that belongs to me. I can't imagine the heartbreak in that father when he stood on the porch and watched that boy that he loved so deeply walk away from everything that could have been his. To see him leave the potential, to see him leave what the family had invested in. Could you imagine the heartbreak that he felt that day watching his boy leave? Now, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe he's a little different. This is certainly not something that is, uh, that is perfectly clear in the scripture, but I can tell you, as a daddy, I have, I have some issues. When my kids leave, they don't know that I do this. Now they will. But, but I have issues because I hug them and tell them I love them when they're leaving. And then if I can, I like to run in there to the window and watch them pull out because I'm praying for them walking out the door and I'm praying for them when they pull away. God, keep your hand on my babies. You know, don't, there's some crazy people out there. Keep your hand on my children. And uh, I, I'm in this constant struggle because my kids are, are getting older and, and Lauren's a flirt. And so... She's really not. She's really not, but uh, she's, hit, she's hit that age where disgusting, hairy-legged beings have begun texting and calling, and I'm, I don't really know what to think about that, you know? Because I watched my dad on September the 11th. Should have known something then. On September the 11th, 1999, I stood over in our old sanctuary right about the place where you walk into my office and watched my dad give my sister away. And he just cried. I did too. I cried, man. I, I certainly wanted her dad. She's older than me, but I cried. I don't know if I was crying more for her or for Jeff, or, but I, I was crying. And I, wa I watched my mom and dad. That was a tough weekend. Jody got married on September the 11th. I stayed home on Sunday the 12th and had church here. And then on Monday the 13th, two days later, I pulled out of town in my truck and moved to Mississippi to go be a youth pastor. And in two days, my mom and dad had fully empty nest. Now, I'm not going to tell you how I know this, but a birdie told me that when I left the house, my mother went into my bed where I slept and laid on my bed and cried and cried and cried. Just notice she didn't go to Jody's room. She probably did, but I feel better knowing she didn't. My dad said, my dad said, boy, your mother went in there and held the pillow that you slept on because she could smell your clone and cried on that pillow. When you love your kids, you do anything in the world to help your kids. And I don't believe that that dad just stood on the porch and when the boy walked away, he said, whatever, dummy, get out of here and leave and just go and then turn and walk back in the house. I believe he stood on that front porch and I believe tears were dripping off of his chin and he said, son, please don't leave. Please, whatever you do, don't leave. And I believe he stood there and watched that boy walk over the horizon and disappear in the distance. But I don't believe that when the boy left home, he was forgotten. I believe 
believe that when he disappeared in the distance that his daddy went right to the servants and said don't you change his room don't you throw away that robe and whatever you do don't stop feeding that calf cause someday my boy is coming home whatever you do now you can believe this however you want to when you got the microphone you can say it how you want to but I'm going to tell you what I believe I believe that every day that daddy would step out on the front porch of their house and he would look out in the distance and say is today the day that my boy is coming home I believe that that father would stand in the front yard and he would look out in the distance you know why can I preach this principle to you he knew if that boy was coming home he was going to have to walk the same road home that he walked to leave I feel like preaching in here on Sunday morning. I want to tell that wayfaring backslider today that has wandered away from God, there is no other road back home. If you're going to come back to God, you got to walk down the same road that you walked when you left him. You're going to have to come back to him with a repentant heart. Oh, I wish somebody watching this today would hear the heart of your father saying, I've been waiting on you. It's time to come back home. Can I preach to somebody this morning that just today you woke up in desperation in a pig pen of life. You woke up this morning with an empty bottle in your hand that you didn't even know you finished last night. You woke up with needle tracks in your arm this morning because you were desperate. I want to tell you, God's not done with you. God hasn't given up on you. God's not finished. I know the enemy wants you to believe that there is no pathway back to righteousness. But I want you to know that the Father has kept the pathway clear. The Father has kept the road open. And he's waiting on you to come back home. I hope somebody that watches this online will fall to your knees and begin to repent in the presence of the Lord. If you've been away from the church, find your way back to the church. If you've been away from the message, find your way back to the message. I still believe it works. I still believe it brings relief. I still believe it'll change your life. The Bible said that that he, he left. He left. And he, he had to join himself to a citizen of a far country. Somebody say a far country. Verse 13 said that he traveled to a far country. I've preached this so many times, but I can't ever talk about this story without talking about this. Because this is one of the most powerful things about this story that if you just read through it, you miss it. I, I, I want you to look very closely with me. How many of you know God doesn't waste words? When Jesus tells this story, he's very explicit about something. That the boy went to a far country. I've preached this with Demas before. How that when Demas fell in love with the pre this present world, he had to forsake Paul to do it. 
This prodigal, as we know him in, in biblical literature, this boy that left home, he had to go to a far country. And the reason why he went to a far country is because he could not find riotous living nearby his home. Are you with me? His father would never be his excuse for riotous living. He said, if you're going to live like that, I have chosen to build my house so far away from that kind of living that you're going to have to walk some miles. Pastor, why do we do some of the things that we do and don't go some of the places we don't go and live how we, I want to tell you why. Because I'm building my house a far ways away from that kind of living. Don't you think you're a little bit over the top, Pastor? Don't you think sometimes you ought to let up on some things? I don't. And don't get, don't be holding your breath anytime soon for me to start moving the house. When the backslider comes home, I want this church to be as far from the world as it was when they left. <laughs> my, 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 my. What do you think it's going to do? This principle is so awesome. It's so powerful. But what do you think it would do if the father, y'all got your seatbelts on. You with me this morning? If the father would have decided since he's gone, I'm going to at least just try to meet him halfway. And I'm going to start building another home a little closer to where he is. Maybe the reason he left is because this, this house was just too conservative. Maybe the reason he left is because I had too many rules. But I want you to notice that the father didn't tear down the precious house and move in the direction of the far country and start building again. Lord, help me. Do you know why I believe in an old-fashioned apostolic way? I'm going to tell you why. Because whether you want to believe it or not, there's some, there's some prodigals this morning that are turned back in the direction of the house of God. And when they make their way back, I want it to be a familiar sight to them. When they come home, the house of God is in the same place it was when they left. Somebody shout a far country. He took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. Now, I may be judged critically for saying this publicly, but I'm going to say it. We're not really desperate to see people come back to God until we're start until we get willing to start praying whatever it takes. I just got I got pretty tight right there. Well, I I I love to see I love to see him come back to the Lord, but you know, I understand. I I understand. Listen, I'm gonna tell you, you can hate me if you want to. 
But Sister Needy, I've I prayed for a lot of people through the years. God, send a famine in their life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I prayed a lot of prayers with my head stuck under a church pew. Saying, God, make their bed a bed of rocks. I came to preach on Sunday morning. I'm not... I'm not here to change anybody's diaper this morning. I'm, I'm here to preach to somebody in this place on Sunday morning. God, make their bed a bed of rocks. Give them dreams about eternity. Give them dreams about heaven and give them dreams about hell. I prayed, God, when they lay their head down at night, let the, the sermons that they've heard echo in the chambers of their minds. You know what? Some folks will never get hungry until there's a famine in their lives. You may have to put up with a bad attitude because they're in a famine. But God's going to use the famine to wake them up and bring them to the house of God. I've had people tell me, I don't know what's going on with them, but they have been so ugly. They have been so mean. I'm going to tell you what's happening. The reason they're acting the way they're acting is that God has answered prayer. They're miserable away from the Father's house. They're miserable in that pig pen. And the reason why they're acting the way they're acting is because they're convicted by the prayers that you keep on praying. They're convicted that every time the doors are open, you're still in the house of God. Hey, don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Somebody shout yes. yes. Until we're ready to pray for a famine, we're not, we're, we're not ready for them to come back home. God, dry up their resources. Well, I don't want them to have to go through anything. Well, that's restoration. And our, and our prayer is, God, let them learn the lesson while it's early enough. Now, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you there's people that just never learn. You know what I mean? Everybody don't learn. There's some people that don't. But you know what I love? I love it. It's in this same chapter. You hear it quoted, but it's in this chapter where he said it in verse number 10 of 15. I love this. He said, likewise, I say unto you, there is joy. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one over one sinner that repents. Folks, I want to tell you right now, it's time for the church to start rejoicing over what makes the angels rejoice. I, I don't have time to stay on this, but I, I do want to. I just want to touch this this morning. I believe in the new birth, and I believe in the plan of salvation. I don't believe there's multiple ways to God. I believe Scripture is very explicit. You got to repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not my doctrine. That's Bible doctrine. It's the fullness and completeness of the new birth. You understand that. But we dance and shout when somebody goes down in a watery grave of baptism. And we scream and shout and dance when they get filled with the Holy Ghost. 
But this is why I believe that we're underestimating the power of true repentance. Because the Bible could have said that the angels rejoice in the presence of God when someone's baptized in the name of Jesus. But the scripture said that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God when a sinner repents. That doesn't mean that when somebody gets down on their knees and says, I'm sorry, whatever. I mean, guess I messed up. At least that's what pastor said. (laughs) Angels don't start jumping around. But when somebody falls on their face and says, God, I am so sick of this famine. I'm going to serve you and do whatever I've got to do. Angels start leaning over the balcony of heaven saying, did you hear that? Angels start rejoicing when somebody says, I'm through living this way and I'm going to give the rest of my life to the Lord. Turn to somebody close to you and tell them this morning, I sure hope you're hungry. (laughs) Repentance is a powerful sermon that's got to be preached. And repentance is a prayer that's got to be prayed. And repentance is a lifestyle that's got to be lived. There is so much more to repentance than just saying, I'm sorry. You know, uh, I hate to even use this analogy because I don't ever want to give life to anything, but it's kind of like just reaching up and slapping somebody in the face and saying, I'm sorry. And it's slapping them in the face again and saying, I'm sorry. Reach up and pop them in the nose and break it. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, after a while, <laughs> you're going to dag on be sorry. Because <laughs> that ain't just going to be their blood dripping, Big Daddy. You know, do it to me once. Shame on you. Do it to me twice. Shame on me. Now, thank God mercy runs a little deeper than that. Because I've, I've slapped God in the face before. Well, I'm glad y'all are all perfect. Can I, can I tell it to you, King James style, the Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, you crucify the Son of God afresh. He said it like this. He said, when you sin willfully, you crucify him all over again. All over again. So when we crucify him afresh, he says, sorry, dude, my bad. I'll do better. But our heart says, I just need enough relief to feel a goosebump. I just need enough relief to feel better. Calvary was not for you to feel better. Calvary was for you to be delivered. Calvary was not just about relief. Oh, God, help me preach this. Calvary was about you being redeemed forever. For good, your life changed, sins remitted. Calvary, Calvary's more powerful than an I'm sorry prayer and going back to it. Can I just be really real right now? If this is of God, this ain't going to be a wet blanket. I'm going to be really extremely real with you right now. And I'm going to tell you the reason why we as humanity keep going back to the same pig pen. I hope you're ready for this. But we keep going back because we like it. 
You can be seated. We keep going back because there's something in us that likes the way we feel. Some people would rather live in a pig pen with no quote-unquote restrictions in my life. But what this boy, what, what we don't understand, man, I want to preach this and, and get it in your heart. I know you may have thought there were some tough rules in your father's house. But you'll miss this in the King James language if you're not careful. The Bible said that he joined himself to a citizen. Do you know what that means? He became a servant to that man. That's why in context he makes the statement when he comes to himself, how many servants in my father's house? You follow me? I don't like the rules and restrictions in my dad's house, but I don't mind going to be a slave for him. <laughs> Can I preach to you the truth? You're going to belong to somebody. You may not believe it, but you're going to belong to that drug dealer. You may not believe it, but you're going to belong to that alcoholic. Come on. You're going to belong to that addiction. You're going to belong to that bartender that you can't stay away from. you got to go every night. And the drunker you get, the bigger the tip gets. And at the end of the week, you don't have enough money to buy a loaf of bread. You know why? You're not free. You belong to something. Oh, God, I feel like preaching in here this morning. I feel my help all over me right now. But I do want to remind you, he that the Son has set free is free indeed. I hurry, I hurry to a close this morning. Somebody shout yes. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. Verse 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Somebody shout, he joined himself. See how that works? Joined himself. Now it's not the love of your father. You're owned by somebody. He joined himself. And he sent him. Notice the language. This is pure slavery. This is servanthood. He sent him. He didn't say, hey, buddy, would you mind to go out there and help me a little bit? Read the language. It's indicative of a fact that's deep. He sent him. That means he woke up and said, hey, boy, if you're going to stay here, you're going to get out there and earn your keep. Now get out there to the pigs. Now follow me. This is a Hebrew rabbi. This is Jesus Christ, a Jewish man telling a Jewish story about a Jewish boy who is a slave to a citizen that sends him to a pig pen. Why a pig pen? Because you know the pig's not kosh. Hebrews don't, they, they, they don't like pigs. It's not kosher for them to eat pigs. It'd be so hard. One of the hardest things about being God manifest in the flesh is Jesus Christ. Is to know as a creator what crispy bacon would taste like. But as a Jewish man to never taste it. That's commitment, folks. You thought Calvary was tough. I'm not making light. Please don't, don't be offended. So this man that he has joined himself to. Sends him. Follow me closely right here. 
He sent him into his fields to feed swine. Somebody say to feed swine. This is the power. Oh God, this is the most powerful thing. He sends him. This Jewish boy's never, never tasted pork. Never going to eat pork. You understand that? And he's now been sent into a field to invest in something, to feed something that will never feed him in return. I'm going to make an investment in something that can never reinvest in me. But this is the life, man. It just don't get no better than this. This is the way. They, I like it this way because at least my dad can't tell me what to do as I sit here feeding something that'll never feed me in return. And this is the way people look at the church, brother Haney. I'm I'm just sick of all the rules as I stand here feeding. <laughs> How you doing? Great. I'm great. Never been better. What's that on my feet? Something that would have never been on your feet if you'd have been at your father's house. What's that smell? It's something you should have never had to smell at your father's house. But because you think it's better out there. My, 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 my. We don't need nobody running on that now. Why? Because this was my idea. Because I made this choice. Folks, listen to me. I can't tell you how much your father loves you. I, I, I know. I know you think it's fun right now. I, I know you think it's fun right now. But famine's going to cause you to join yourself up to something. And you're going to either join yourself up to something that's going to feed you. Oh, I'm preaching right now. Or you're going to join yourself up to something that's constantly going to cost you to feed. Oh, my, 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 my. I wish somebody would get this in your spirit right now. I got to hurry. I think you're getting the gist of what I'm saying. When he came to himself, when he came, verse 17, he came to himself. He came to himself. This is, this is the moment. This is it right here. This is, this is the whole picture change. This is it. He came to himself. It doesn't say he went to the citizen. He had a self-conversation. That's the best conversation some of you could have today because the people that are talking to you, they're not doing you any good. That was free. Like, you don't even have to give anything extra in offering for that. That was free. Do you know who's going to be sure that I'm saved if I'm saved? Well, that'd be you, Pastor. You're going to make sure I'm saved. Oh, I wish I could. We'd never stop building if I could do that. We, we wouldn't even have a church building. We'd have we'd went from the wigwam to big old tents. We'd be meeting in Lucas Oil today. I, I, we'd meet wherever we had to meet if I could be sure you were saved. But until you come to yourself, that's the only way it's ever going to work. Are you hearing what I'm preaching today? 
Well, I went to church and nothing happened. Because you didn't go to church after you came to yourself. You went to church to see why you still didn't want to be there. When he came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have enough bread and more? How do you know that he came to himself? Because he no longer, it was no longer about self-preservation. It was no longer about self-promotion. It was no longer about what's in it for me. It was no longer about what somebody owes me. When he came to himself, he said, I'd rather be a servant in his house than to die out here by myself. How do you know when somebody's truly repented, when they come to the Lord, they say, I'll serve you. I'll serve you. I'll serve you. I'll serve you. Somebody ought to shout that this morning. Lord, I'll serve you. I'm not here today for what's in it for me. To, I, I, I'm not here to find what can serve me. Lord, I'll serve you. And every day, every day his father would go to his servants. and He'd say, go out there and feed that old calf. You know the one. There's one out there that I've had my eye on. He said, I, 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 want, I want him to be fed a little more. He was the fatted calf. He said, because someday my boy is coming home. I want you to be sure that that pan is hot. Because when he comes home, when he comes home, we're going to put that roast in the pan. And we're going to brown it up before we put it in the oven. When I see, when I see him coming down the road, are you hearing what I'm saying? When I see him coming down the road... We're going to know that we've been feeding that thing for a reason. I feel like preaching to somebody today that the devil has beat your brains out. And I want to tell you, there is still more than enough for you to eat in your father's house. I hope you're hungry. Woo. Can I have just a couple more minutes? Are you all ready? You done? Can I have a couple more minutes? I hope I don't embarrass anybody. I hope you guys iron your shirts. Okay, come here, bud. I want you to do something. Can I have your jacket? Can I just pull your jacket off? I'm not embarrassing you, am I? You can't hide money, son. We know. <laughs> LG, can I borrow yours? Is that okay? Come on, boys. That's what you get for being up here. Glad you are, though. Thank you, bud. All right, Kate, come up here with me. You guys can be seated. Now, Bible said, Bible said, I love this. You okay right there? I had forsaken you. You all right? Man, I don't want, I don't want you getting afraid. I am intimidating, ain't I? No? <laughs> oh, God, Kate. Now, now, now listen. Scripture said, when his father saw him far away off, he went to him in verse 22. The father said to his servants, I love this. 
Everybody doing okay? I know it's 12.02. His father said, go get him the best robe. You ever read that one like, like you mean you have good, better, best? I'll tell you what I think. It's going to be fun. Would you try this on for me just real quick? Let's see. Now, I don't want your muscles ripping this. You having a little trouble? That don't look quite right on you. Let's try another one. Let's try another one. Let's see what we can come up with. Let's grab old jo Joseph a boot here. I'm sorry? This one's a little big. It's a little big. what the tailor did to me when he's fitting up my suit. He stepped, he picked my pants, stepped back and went, I'm like, but it ain't getting no better. <laughs> you stare all day. I don't think that's the best one for you, bub. I don't think it is. That, that just don't, that don't fit right. This one ought to be a little smaller. He's a little guy. Don't take his personal, but I like your dress. <laughs> Just got big shoulders, LG. Somebody, so, somebody tell him, please. I, I don't think that's the best one for you. I, that, I, I, don't, I don't think so, buddy. But you, you know what? I think this one's best because this is the one I bought you before you left. And I know this one fits. This one's the best robe because it's got your name on it. So you can take everything that everybody else tried to put on you. And you can put it away because I bought this one for you. That's the best road for you, buddy. That's a... You know what's the best robe? It's the one that's got your name on it. It's the one that the Father prepared for you. There is a robe that's waiting on you. It's got the family name on it. And the father's waiting on you to come put the robe on. But when you come get the robe, I hope you're hungry. When that boy walked through the door, his daddy said, son, the servants brought your robe. Look inside there. That's the one that I made for you. He said, Daddy, what is that smell? He said, you know what that is, son? That's the calf that we've been preparing. That's the one that we've been working on. He said, Daddy, I don't, I, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be treated like this. He said, I don't care where you went. You are still my son. I feel like preaching to you this morning as I close. I 
I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. You are still his child. So I sure hope this morning. I sure hope you know this morning. We've been preparing for you. <laughs> we, we, we've been getting it ready for you. We've been waiting. Sister Donna, we've been waiting. The kitchen's been preparing. We've been waiting. We thank God that you're here. I thank God that you're here this morning. We didn't realize it, Sister Colleen, but when we went in the kitchen and started cooking up PCA, we were getting ready for your family. I hope you're hungry. I hope you're hungry. <laughs> How far will he reach? I believe he'll speak to us in dreams. Show us speaking in other tongues. Draw us to the house of the Lord. But you know, some people are here today because somebody invited them, and some people are here because God invited them here. You know what my prayer is, Brother Snow? I pray that when they drive by on 53rd Street, they smell the kitchen. I pray that when they drive by on 53rd Street, they say, Whoa, I don't know what they're cooking in there, but I sure am hungry. I hope you came hungry this morning because we've been preparing for you. We've been cooking for you. Folks, I, I, I just want to make something clear in closing today. It didn't matter if that boy was in a far country or if he was over the first hill where his father couldn't see him. But anywhere he was that was not his father's house was too far away. We are really terrible at judging how far somebody is. You understand what I'm saying? Am I making any sense? Well, they're, man, they're, they're far gone. At least so-and-so just went over the first hill. Listen, I don't care if you're over the first hill or if you're in a far country, you're too far away. It's time this morning, even if you feel just a little cold and dislocated. I'm not talking about you hadn't gone to smoking and drinking and cussing and partying and gambling. No, no, no. Just a little cold. Hadn't been in your prayer closet. You're too far away. So I'm standing on the front porch to invite you this morning. I want you to know, I sure hope you're hungry, that you'll come today. I wish I, I, wish I would have had something prepared for my sake and yours right now. Just could you imagine how good that first bite of roast was? <laughs> it's that first Sunday back, Elvis Jones, that first... When you've been cold and you've been far from God. You pull up to the altar for the first time. You got a little shame on you, you know. Like, man, I know everybody's watching. Ain't no telling what they're saying about me. Let them talk. Because the table is prepared. But what if they don't accept me?
There's always going to be brothers that have some problems. But there's room at the table for everybody. This is an invitation today. I don't care how far away you've walked. I hope you're hungry because I want you to come to the table. These altars are wide open today. God is not intimidated by where you've been. God is not intimidated by what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you failed God. His mercy is reaching for you today saying, Come! All who are weary and heavy laden, come! Can we just give Him praise this morning?